0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, June 11th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. The general principles that govern new cryptocurrency offerings, at least in law or regulation, seem not to exist. How does that help or hinder the market for cryptocurrency? A new enforcement action by the Securities and Exchange Commission is raising new questions about just what makes a coin qualify as a security and thus would place it under the purview of the SEC. Diego Zuluaga comments. Kik is a messaging platform. Uh, There's a lot of competition in that field. And they have unveiled an ICO that will work, I assume, in concert with their uh, messaging platform. That will allow developers to create applications, to engage in sort of trades and that sort of thing. When I first understood that Kick was doing an ICO and the company wasn't doing particularly well, I thought, well, they're just trying to raise money for the company uh, while also circumventing the standard rules for issuing essentially stock uh, in a company. But that you say that's not right.
1: Well, I think they would disagree with that characterization. So This was in mid 2017 at the height of the boom in what has become known as initial coin offerings, which are different types of cryptocurrencies, some running on other people's platforms, some completely independent. Uh, which aim to enable people to deal with each other on a particular network to, as you say, exchange goods and services. And I think the way that Kik would characterize the offering for Kin, which was its cryptocurrency, is that they wanted to increase usage of the network and to monetize usage in a way that didn't rely on advertising by selling people this crypto that they could then use to trade with developers to perform certain functions of the network, say, post statuses, or review products, or uh, talk to each other, increase interactions, and they would be rewarded in that way. They would always characterize it as decentralized interaction. So they would say, we offered Kin, but we don't have control over the cryptocurrency. Now, that's a matter of debate, how much control they had. But I think the key issue here, and the reason we're talking about this is that the Securities and Exchange Commission has issued a complaint, uh, an enforcement action against a kick for this offering, and it's going to go to the courts. Um, the, The key thing here is that the SEC hasn't given any general principles from which someone could, in advance, judge whether they're in breach of the securities laws or not. What is the Howey test? The Howey test is so-called because it comes from a Supreme Court case from 1946 that established what the characteristics were of a contract to make it an investment contract and therefore a security, and therefore something regulated by the SEC.
0: And it's a really broad, it seems like a very broad thing. That is, uh, it is a test of whether or not consideration is provided in exchange for some sort of performance.
1: Yeah, well, it has four prongs. The four prongs of the Howey test are, a security has to be one, an investment contract, two, in a common enterprise, three, with profits to be had, and four, from the efforts of others. And the two key criteria for me are the common enterprise element and the efforts of others element, as far as cryptocurrencies are concerned. Why? Because if we're talking about decentralized networks, the idea of a common enterprise becomes dubious. Because if I'm on Bitcoin or on Ethereum, there isn't really a common purpose for being on Bitcoin. There isn't a profitable purpose to which everybody is dedicated. And we're not all of us appointing a few managers to decide things for us. And therefore, that's been the criticism from proponents of crypto about the widespread application of securities laws to cryptocurrencies. And over time, SEC officials have mildly responded to that criticism. And, you know, Chairman Jay Clayton of the SEC said uh, a year ago or so that Bitcoin wouldn't be considered a security because precisely because it was so decentralized. And then one of his deputies in a speech last year said that Ethereum, which is the second largest crypto also wouldn't qualify as a security because by now it's decentralized enough. Now, my concern is that that sort of exposed reasoning, they are looking at projects that succeeded where therefore ownership of the cryptocurrency became widespread and uh, you know, it's distributed among millions of people, and that therefore they no longer count as securities. But if that's the principle, then how can we allow competitors to arise if we're not going to allow them to become decentralized enough because we apply the, securities, the weight of the securities laws or an enforcement action forcing them to return the money uh, and disgorgement, so penalties, uh, before they flourish. So my worry is that regulators unwittingly are creating a duopoly here. You know, right now, the cryptocurrency market, something like two-thirds of it consists just of Bitcoin and Ethereum, that is the dollar value of all cryptocurrencies, 66% of that is just the two largest ones, Bitcoin and Ethereum, which as I say, the SEC has seems to have established, although none of this is written in stone or in rulemakings, that they're not securities. But we have hundreds, if not thousands, of other crypto projects that are hanging in the balance. And right now, according to the SEC statements, there is no general principle, and therefore, you know, we we have this enforcement action and the SEC may well be justified in thinking this was an unregistered securities offering and that KIC was warned and was acting in the knowledge that they were doing something against the law and still didn't refrain from doing so. But my worry is that even if someone with goodwill and good intentions and not wanting to break the law, wanted to engage in this space, they couldn't have any certainty as to whether they're issuing a security or not, where we stand today. And remember, it's been two years, two years since the height of the ICO boom. And despite millions of dollars in resources, I think at the regulator level being thrown at this problem, we still have no clear guidance.
0: And, To the extent that what well, they call it, uh, vaporware or uh, f- you know fraudulent uh, coins that were offered, there were a lot of people presumably that lost a lot of money uh, and we hope investors are a little more cognizant of that fact and do a little more due diligence on it, but it doesn't seem that the SEC is encouraging that kind of due diligence.
1: Well, the SEC. Has I mean, if been, you're if
0: you're preventing uh, things from coming into existence uh, with some sort of chilling effect, with unclear regulation, then uh, you're not really encouraging people to to do a lot of that that work.
1: There are a few things there. First of all, the SEC, its chairman said last year that every ICO he'd seen—that's five six hundred ICOs—was um, a security but they've only initiated enforcement actions against 30 or so. And most of those are outright frauds. They're not, the enforcement action is not motivated by an unregistered securities offering. It's because they're doing some, they're stealing money from people. Basically they're scams. The second thing is that we have to compare the scale of fraud to the, the, the size of the crypto market. So the crypto market is about $250 billion right now. And by my calculations from various investment reports that I've seen and, and law enforcement reports, the scale of measured fraud in ICOs is about 2 billion. So that's a bit less than 1% of total market cap is what's been fraudulent, which in a burgeoning, uh, ever-changing, very innovative field is not A very high fraud rate. I mean, of course, we should uh, expose the perpetrators of crime to the full weight of the law. And, you know, customers that have been scammed should, to the extent possible, recover their funds. But this is not a widespread problem. This is not uh, like. Nouriel Rubini from New York University said last year in testimony to Congress 82% of ICOs being scammed. That's a completely uh, wrong headed figure. So that, let's put that in context. And as you say, the SEC, by not giving certainty, has only given an incentive to the worst players to remain involved in this market, while the people who are well intentioned are leaving. They're moving to Singapore, they're moving to Switzerland, where actually the regulator has taken steps to specify the conditions in which something's a security and something is not.
0: What of the contradictory guidance that has been provided by federal agencies?
1: So a couple of months ago, the SEC released a quite long document that intended to apply this Howey test, this 70-year-old set of principles for determining whether something's a security to digital assets, so cryptocurrencies. But instead of giving in plain English some explanations as to how each of the four principles I described, so again, investment of money in a common enterprise with the expectation of profits from the efforts of others, how those applied to decentralized networks like Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera, they set out 40 or 50 bullet points specifying circumstances and using new legal concepts like active participant, which nobody knows, not even a lot of the lawyers I talk to knows what it actually means, so that they only mud- muddied the waters even more. And they've, they've just complicated the analysis that somebody in good faith has to conduct in order to decide that something's not a security. So what we're getting is a more expansive definition, the SEC basically hedging its bets by saying, we may yet decide that something that doesn't look like a security is after all a security and therefore we may come after you. And that may well work for them and it may even satisfy the people who want a lot of precaution, but it doesn't help innovation in this space and it certainly doesn't encourage anyone to either market to Americans or to develop these products in America. As I say, As we speak, a lot of this innovation is moving to other shores, and I think we're making a mistake if we think that this is going to be totally insignificant in the way that a lot of people talking about the internet would say that the internet was insignificant in the 1990s. I mean, Paul Krugman famously said that you wouldn't be able to see the productivity impact of the internet uh, in the future. Obviously that's not true, and it's been demonstrated years after, but we have to let it develop and flourish first.
0: Diego Zuluaga is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.